Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Sutang, but please call me Swin. I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp. All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Will, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the far right in America, uh, I got to ask you an important question. Are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm strapped in. Okay, what do you think of the premiere episode of Woke Gossip Girl? I thought it was pretty good, actually. I thought, you know, I was intrigued by by some of our characters. I like the conceit that the teachers are Gossip Girl now, and uh, I I was decently into the old Gossip Girl. I don't know about you. I was a little freaked out. I felt like some of the actors look almost, like, too similar. It looks like they're doing the Irishman de-aging technology on, like, Chuck (laughs) Bass and, and Dan Humphrey. Yeah, what did you think of it? Okay, well, first of all, I must confess, I have watched literally two full episodes of the original non-woke Gossip Girl. The pilot episode, and then I immediately fast-forwarded to the series finale episode. That is my extent of the knowledge of, of the series. I mean, I, I, I basically... That's like a idea. real, like, like how do I save time? I watch the pilot and the series finale. It's like when Harry Met Sally, where the Billy Crystal characters, like, I all, when I start a book, I always make sure to read the last page first, so I know how it ends in case I die before I finish the book. It's like that. So the thing I did kind of like about those two episodes of the original is that, okay, these are extremely white, extremely Manhattanite, like neo-aristocratic kids doing crime, getting away with crime, and just engaging in incredibly low stakes, but somehow rather intense social intrigue. That's what I kind of got from the show. It is the, to me, it seems almost like antithetical to the idea of making the kids woke or sort of incorporating the atmosphere of BLM protests or whatever the showrunners said they are now trying to incorporate into woke gossip girl. Well, I got to say, the kids are not bawling out like they should be. It's just like I like they're kind of like hanging at this one bar for teens or something. They're not not committing murder yet. It's not as decadent as I want, but it'll ramp up there. I think soon enough we'll be uh, they'll be getting pretty wild. Right. I mean, I was skeptical at first, but I do like that the cast of characters of the kids like the teens so far, the way they're portrayed is they use terms like Latin X and stuff like that. But with the other hand, they're constantly trying to get the maid fired because she didn't clean the sheets properly enough. So, like, it fits. So, when, you know, one thing I was just fascinated by earlier this week was the sanctions hearing in court for pro-Trump lawyers Linwood and Sidney Powell, who are potentially facing uh, some punishment over their bogus voter fraud case. Uh, have you been following this? Oh, God, that was awesome. Didn't, like, one of their lawyers start crying in the middle of it? 
She certainly seemed to be crying. Yeah, I kind of couldn't tell on the Zoom. But I got to say, I feel like one of the great challenges of the past few years has been, like, do consequences still exist, right? Like, can you just make things up without punishment? And especially in a court. And so now one federal judge says, maybe not. Maybe you can't make things up. And so this was this big hearing, and it was Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell and a bunch of associates of theirs. And the judge is considering whether they should be punished for these just truly deranged affidavits from characters with names like Spider. And so they, you know, they submitted these things and then the judge, the judge would be like, well, who submitted this affidavit from Spider? And they would say, well, I don't know. It just got in there. (laughs) Or they would be like, the judge would be like, well, do you think you should have investigated whether Spider was just making this up? And they'd be like, well, he said it was true. (laughs) Okay. I mean, yeah. So, Swin, did you have a chance to uh, to catch us? I caught some of it, and it was it kind of reminded me the fact that these Trumpist lawyers were engaging in the exact same kind of care and vetting that senior officials in the Bush administration devoted to fact checking claims that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. It was mm-hmm. okay. Maybe I'm being a little bit unfair. It was a little bit less rigorous. Than well, you might be being unfair to the Bush administration. All of this stuff was people. People would be like, "How'd this affidavit get in here?" And they'd be like, "I don't know. Some other lawyer filed it in another case. We just grabbed it." And the judge, the judge was like, "Well, at one point, the judge literally said they they did this big defense, and the judge goes, "Wow, okay." The entirety of their legal defense right now is premised on the very true, but rather flimsy defense that you can't prove a negative. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like you can do whatever you want. They literally said we have a First Amendment right to do whatever we want in court. <laughs> and and the judge said, well, like, I don't think that's true. And then in one of their filings, they said, well, look, we won't bore the court. We won't offend the court with the many times this has been proven to be the case in court. And the judge was like, well, I won't be offended. You can go right ahead. And they were like, uh. For me, the highlight, I think, was so Lynn Wood is doing his kind of like, I'm just a simple country lawyer kind of thing. But like grabbing his suspenders and rocking back and forward. <laughs> yeah, no, well, he, he's like, it seems to me, but he's kind of throwing Sidney Powell under the bus because she sort of seems to have been driving the ship here and that Lynn Wood kind of was playing, kind of just jumping in for to get some clout. And so now he's like, your honor, I shouldn't even be here. Someone, I don't know how my name got on these filings. And then he's like, I guess someone just put it on there without my permission. And Sidney Powell was like, I would not have done that. And so, you know, it's getting a little heated, but the, but the judge really was, I think, giving Lynn Wood like a long, you know, enough rope to hang himself. And he was really going off. And then the judge was sort of like, well, you know, you guys are in hot water. I certainly hope no one will be recording this hearing and posting audio or video of it online. What does Lynn Wood do? He gets out of the hearing and posts the video on Telegram. Okay. And you're not allowed to do that, right? No. As we discussed about the production of this podcast. No, that's, you get in big trouble for that. And so especially like I would get in big trouble and I'm not even a party to this case, right? Was he posting it on Telegram? Like, oh, look at me be fucking awesome in this hearing and just completely motherfuck the judge. Yeah, he was like posted it as like, look at Sidney Powell, like windmill dunk this Stalinist judge. And he's just like, <laughs> he's going off the, the the lawyer who's pursuing them is named David Fink. And he's calling him like David the Fink. And he's just like going off on these guys. And it's like, Lynn Wood, you're going to get in trouble, dude. Just thought that was an abundantly clever nickname. He sounds like a Batman character. I think we're beyond the point of wondering if Lynn Wood cares if he gets in trouble or not. Yeah, I mean, he's about to be disbarred in an unrelated case in Georgia. Yeah, it's like men who kept going online saying Mike Pence should be hanged for being too disloyal to President Trump. I don't think he really cares that much anymore about uh, the consequences of his actions. 
Because there's like a lot of like less high profile lawyers who are, are in on this and we're like their local council in Michigan and stuff. And you got to imagine those guys are like, I mean, they're facing potentially not being able to work in the state, in the federal court there. Then Lynn Wood's like, what's going to get my telegram numbers up? You know, I got to <laughs> just insult the judge. And they're like, oh, geez, my co-defendant. <laughs> He's the quintessential pro-Trump lawyer of the Trump era. I'm not sure anybody, even someone like Rudy Giuliani or Sidney Powell, exudes the same kind of energy that really makes sense if you're like, okay, what would a MAGA lawyer look like? It would look like Lynn Wood. He's a, he's a showman. He gets the crowd going. Will, you've been tracking this burgeoning controversy surrounding something known as pit viper sunglasses. <laughs> First of all, before we get into that, you got to explain to our listeners what the hell a pit viper sunglasses. What are they? Do you own any? Where can I get them? Should I wear them? Well, you may want to reconsider wearing them because of some unfortunate associations they're they're developing, which we're about to get into. But these are like these are really kind of unusual sunglasses. And and I realize this is you know podcasting is not a visual medium, but basically, if you're listening to this, you might want to Google this because it's kind of hard to describe. But basically, they're like these huge panel sunglasses that look like something Macho Man Randy Savage might wear. They're like super reflective, and they have like like crazy you know they look orange or whatever. I mean, they're, they're very striking visually. They look like sunglasses that would be portrayed in a John Carpenter movie that's satirizing the 1980s Reagan era. I, I'm not gonna lie, I want some. If They Live took place at a snowboarding resort. So to give you sort of a sense of like what Pit Viper's attitude is, like they're endorsed by Rob Gronkowski. They're kind of like, seem to be like a slightly more well-intentioned barstool sports in terms of their attitude. I think their Instagram page, I think lists that they're like the 69th best company. Eh, you get it? This is Pit Viper. They seem more or less fine. Have they been around for a long time? I gotta confess, I have not heard of them until you brought them to my attention. I had never heard of them either. I think if you and I were like in a frat at a Big Ten school, we'd probably wear this for wear these for like Boat Week or something. You and I are getting matching Pit Viper shades. And that is now going to be the new cover art for this podcast. The two of us just wearing them back to back. We're going to reclaim Pit Viper. And so this is why, so Pit Vipers in a bit of trouble, right? So Pit Vipers have been adopted by the white nationalist Groypers. And these are young men who, some of whom marched in Charlottesville. They have kind of what they think is a cheeky attitude. They're led by this gentleman or this, led by this guy named Nick Fuentes, who is in Charlottesville. A guy who has managed to buddy up to an actual sitting Republican U.S. Congress person. <laughs> right. Paul Gosar, exactly, from Arizona. And so, and Groypers is kind of a take on a Pepe the Frog. Uh, is kind of a, he's like a similar guy. He's kind of like a fat Pepe. So these guys have started wearing pit vipers around because they're, they're kind of this, you know, they're kind of like a devil may care kind of thing you might wear. And so pit vipers started running into trouble with this on January 6th. When Groyper affiliate Baked Alaska wore them into the Capitol. And you guys can see here, there's a picture of Baked Alaska, you know, kind of doing his thing during the riot, wearing some Pit Vipers. Pit Vipers kind of got on this quick. And so they put out a, a meme that said, showed people wearing Pit Vipers and said, extreme sports, 
not extremist losers. Did that work? Did, no. Did that solve the problem? <laughs> no, it did not. And so so this has now created this thing where like, you know, and this is reminiscent of like the Proud Boys love to wear black and yellow Fred Perry shirts, right? And Fred Perry said, don't wear him, you bums. And then they just started wearing uh, knockoffs, right? And so we've seen- Like that the, there was this, the Nazis never stopped wearing Hugo Boss. Right. And so, I mean, there was this whole thing where there's this right-wing reaction to Pit Viper, somewhat a host of this like Christian show smack some pit vipers on air after this and then more recently last weekend at the at cpac nick fuentes the groiper leader showed up with like five or six of his cronies all wearing pit vipers and it seems like pit vipers is like oh man and so they tweet nick fuentes needs to stop wearing pit vipers so i don't know it doesn't look like it's going great for pit vipers i think they're kind of in a in a bind here okay just sidebar for a moment do you, Will Summer, actually think the Pit Viper glasses look cool? You know, that's a complicated question. <laughs> I mean, at this point in a vacuum, I think I would look at them and be like, okay, if I were doing irony or wearing a Halloween costume, I well, would want Well, definitely a Halloween costume. I think I might have aged I would out want Pit, Vipers, Pit Vipers. But I think if I was like, you know, like a 21-year-old guy and I was like... Trying to uh, imitate a really racist version of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air... <laughs> Yeah, it kind of looks like that. I mean, it sort of looks like it would be worn by the guy, right, who when he shows up at the party, people are like, uh-oh, here comes trouble, right? Like, he's the fun guy. I, I don't think they're for me, but also I don't think that they should become the new, like, Hitler Youth uniform if they don't want to. Do you know how it became the new Hitler Youth uniform? Like, why did they choose Pit Viper? They could have chosen anything. Well, it's a cool name, right, first of all. But, like, second of all, I think this baked Alaska guy, a lot of these these characters get into them. I mean, they're very striking visually, so I think if you're live streaming all the time, you know, it, it adds a little visual interest. But certainly, I think Pit Viper has been, they've been getting into it, you know, with the alt right now on Twitter. Someone tweeted, you know, me and all my, you know, Groiper friends, we will not buy Pit Vipers anymore. And they tweeted, you know, good, you know, good, stop, stop wearing Pit Vipers. I think maybe we should get a sponsorship deal with pit viper just like you know just some kind of kind of like like sort of boring dudes you know we're, we're in our 30s we're just chilling out you know maybe that's more of the energy uh, right or, or just to balance it out just get every pro cuban regime wannabe type activist in the united states to start donning pit vipers there you, you balance it out there's a little bit of an ideological equilibrium there all of a sudden all right swin rudy giuliani one-time trump lawyer the guy people may remember from the time hair dye was running down the side of his face. But now he's in even more trouble than before. Get us up to date. Okay. As our listeners probably know, Rudy Giuliani is someone who is uh, facing a lot of mounting legal bills, a lot of mounting legal woes. A good amount of this, including the federal investigation into him, is a direct result of all the things he tried to do to help then-President Trump. From the Trump-Ukraine scandal to subsequently efforts to try to overturn the 2020 presidential election and spread and promulgate these voter fraud lies, et cetera, et cetera. In the intervening time between January 2021 and now, Giuliani and his allies have been thirsting for former President Trump to swoop in and back him up publicly and politically and try to solve some of his problems, including but not limited to helping him offset the exploding costs 
of these legal bills that Giuliani is now inundated with. I don't think it would shock too many of our listeners to find out that Donald Trump is still not stepping up to the plate, which leaves Rudy and his guys with even more cash strapped than they would have been otherwise. One of the ways that Giuliani lieutenants, chief among them, former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick, is trying to ameliorate that, is setting up the Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund to try to crowdsource enough money to help the former New York City mayor out. How's it going? Well, they were hoping for something in the neighborhood of $5 million. (laughs) And having set up multiple websites online to try to uh, crowdfund for this legal defense fund, one of the websites publicly showed how much money they had raised through this specific webpage. It's something called fundly.com. It's kind of like a low-rent GoFundMe that is being utilized by certain public figures and That's busted, organizations man. on the right. Do you know about Fundly? I've never he- even heard of Fundly, man. All the cool guys, when when they're when they're kicked off of GoFundMe or whatever, Kickstarter, they end up on Give, Send, Go, the site for Christian missionaries and January 6th rioters. And I got to say, if you can't make it go on Give, Send, Go, you got to go to Fundly. No way. It's looking pretty grim. Okay. Well, I guess Team Rudy didn't get the memo on this. So the total fundraising figures so far are public if you have your webpage up. So out of a stated goal of $5 million, they got barely in the neighborhood of $10,000. So I just ran the numbers on this for the, for the listeners, and that equates to one-fifth of 1% of the total goal. See, amazing, amazing. It had been up for a while, and people started noticing how little action this fundraising page was getting. So people started dunking on it online, uh, Different news outlets such as Vanity Fair started writing articles that were kind of sneering at it. So this past Friday, my colleague Adam Ronsley and I wanted to see how the Legal Defense Fund was doing. So we went back to check on this Fundly webpage, and lo and behold, it had disappeared from the internet. It had not been shut down to the point of refunding anybody, as far as we can tell, because if you sleuth enough around the website, you can find evidence of people donating small amounts of money to the Rudy Giuliani Legal Defense Fund. But when you click on the thing that they donated to, it takes you to a politics fundraising landing page as if the page never existed. After seeing that, and after what very well could have been the Rudy team taking down this site because... Or, or, or at least hiding this webpage because they were sick of idiots online dunking on it too much. We paused for a moment and we're like, okay, let's give Rudy Giuliani and his would-be fundraisers the benefit of the doubt. There are other web pages that they've set up that are fundraising for this fund. One of them says you can write a check and mail it straight to this address. So let's see how they're doing. Maybe there's more money than what, than what was simply displayed on the Fundly site. So we ran quick diagnostic tests on the referral traffic numbers for all the other pages the Team Rudy has set up to solicit these fundraising dollars. And the results were across the board abysmal, like absolutely the opposite of impressive. If these guys are raising a bunch of money and have not been talking about it, there's no evidence of this if you actually analyze it. Because for as much as a prominent figure that Rudy Giuliani is on the national stage and certainly within Trump world and among the MAGA base, he is getting essentially no traffic 
to these web pages. It, it ranks somewhere over the course of uh, several weeks in the low 1000s. That bums me out, man. Like, you know, you've got like some random person is just like, yeah, I recorded my local newsroom for James O'Keefe. They wouldn't, they wanted me to get the COVID vaccine. People are like, that's, oh, that's going to get 150 grand. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani, like international man of mystery, he's freaking going to like Eastern Ukraine or wherever for the president. It gets five grand. It breaks your heart. Okay, so here's the deal. So one thing I noticed in your story here is like you want to talk about true friendship, right? So people say, you know, friendship is impossible in politics. They say you want a friend in Washington, get a dog, right? But I would disagree. I would point you to the friendship between Rudy Giuliani and former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Carrick, who is freaking going to the mat for his guy right here. The feds are closing in. Trump has abandoned Giuliani. But Bernie Carrick here, he's tweeting. He's like, Rudy Giuliani was there for Trump when he when he needed him. Where is where's Trump now? Where's the RNC? Well, he's not naming Trump. That's the problem. He's saying, where's the RNC? Where's Mitch McConnell? Where's Kevin McCarthy? I think he's calling these people rhinos, Whenever he does tweets like this, he conspicuously leaves off that the leader of the Republican Party, who Giuliani basically tried to do everything for to keep this man in power, even against the will of the American people, he keeps leaving out that this guy has basically ghosted him. <laughs> no, that, that's great, man. Good for Bernie Carrick. He's setting up the fundraising site. He's like, don't worry, bro. We got this. Obviously, it's maybe not going that great. but uh... Per Adam Ronsley, who worked with me on this reporting, he ran the numbers. And since June to at least one of these sites, Team Rudy has received 3,800 unique clicks. That's not so good. That's not good. That's not so good. And another data point that Adam brought up, which I think is pretty telling, is that on Rudy Giuliani's own Facebook page, where he's begging his followers for money for the Legal Defense Fund, Giuliani has posted 37 times in the past month. Out of those 37 posts, his pleas for funds ranks 26th for engagement among his 37 posts over the past month. So even on his own page, these pleas aren't that popular. His birthday wishes to Trump and shout outs to Alan Dershowitz were uh, (laughs) among the most popular posts on his page, not his own. I'm drowning in legal bills. I did everything for MAGA. Please help me. Oh, man. All right. Good luck, Rudy. I'm looking at Twitter right now and people are photoshopping pictures of pit vipers onto the Q shaman. It's still going. Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
All right. This week on Fever Dreams, we're joined by one of the up-and-coming young guns on the right-wing beat, Zach Patrizzo, a staff writer for Salon. Zach just spent the weekend at CPAC Texas, where things got pretty weird. You can find Zach's work at Salon.com or on Twitter at at ZTPatrizzo. That's P-E-T-R-I-Z-Z-O. Zach, welcome to Fever Dreams. Thanks so much for having me. So now you were just you spent the weekend at CPAC Texas. CPAC, of course, the Conservative Political Action Conference, which is sort of the, at least meant to be, the sort of gathering of, of the mainstream conservative establishment. Greatest minds in conservative media and politics today. <laughs> yes, exactly. Zach, I mean, you've been to CPACs in the past, particularly the ones in D.C. What was the mood like this time and, and how is it different down in Dallas? Absolutely. Well, this one was billed more as a local CPAC, if you will. So it wasn't the big national CPAC that's, you know, an annual conference, but kind of an offset from, from that national conference. So it was a full house, though. I mean, there were probably close to over 5,000 people there on Sunday when former President Donald Trump spoke. And the energy was just, I mean, you could feel it. People were really, really excited and people really, really wanted to be there taking in all that CPAC has to offer. But, you know, as we saw firsthand, it was also, I would say, the most extreme CPAC in terms of many of the attendees that were there and many of the the messages being pushed. Yeah. So getting into that, I mean, you know, I I think one of your first big scoops uh, out of many at the CPAC was that you saw Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes there. Now, Fever Dreams listeners will remember Stuart Rhodes as the guy who allegedly got a little loose with the Oath Keepers (laughs) uh, militia credit card, allegedly bought a bunch of steaks and kettlebells for himself. But now post kettlebell, Stuart's out on the town. And so you ran into him at CPAC. Yeah. Friday afternoon, the night was just kind of like winding down and was walking in the hallways, kind of checking out what was going on at CPAC. And I ran into him and introduced myself. And I thought, you know, maybe I'd get an interview with him or something like that, kind of see what's going on and why he's at CPAC. Immediately he gets very confrontational. I don't know exactly why, but uh, he got confrontational and told us to, you know, F off and all this stuff. And, and then his, his associate, this kind of pro-Trump female character that runs around kind of Texas state politics, Texas GOP type of stuff, confronted me and continued to push, 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 kind of cuss us out. And then we uh, we ended up writing up about how he was there. And CPAC told us they had alerted federal authorities about his presence. They were undeterred and, and let him hang out there all weekend. So, because the larger import here, right, is that like a bunch of Oath Keepers have been indicted over January 6th. So the idea that that their leader uh, is palling around with the same event with like members of Congress, the former president, you know, what do you think that says about sort of the state of like post-January 6th uh, conservatism? Absolutely. I I think it says a lot. I think it was the entire conference. You can use CPAC almost as a bellwether for the Republican Party. And we can kind of see that CPAC, what used to be a very mainstream event, used to be very, you know, Reagan was the first one, you know, that kind of brought about CPAC and all this type of stuff. And it was a mainstream GOP event. But as we've seen over the past couple of years, and even after January 6th, more so, we've seen CPAC shift further right and very much the Republican Party shift more and more to the right and embrace things like these extremist characters, right? We saw the Proud Boys at CPAC Dallas. We saw the Oath Keepers at CPAC Dallas. We saw white nationalist attendees running around. We saw QAnon supporters wearing QAnon shirts running around the conference, right? So we saw all these elements and CPAC um, 
didn't care. So like one of the things that's going on here, right, is that the you have the white nationalist groipers, these types who are also trying to get in. Some of them get in. And there was an interesting clash between Stuart Rhodes, who is sort of denounced by many of these younger people as sort of a, a boomer or a fed. You know, could you describe that for me? Yeah, no, absolutely. There was some video of a white nationalist groiper, one of Nick Nicholas Fuentes' followers. Nicholas Fuentes, of course, being the character who um, attended the Unite the Right rally um, and and has since kind of been banned from Twitter and other platforms. But Fuentes was then, was there eventually, but one of his followers approached Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers founder, and basically called him a fed. And and, and that didn't really uh, make Stuart happy at all. It's a pretty funny video. I mean, basically, Stuart Rhodes, they go, oh, can I get a selfie? The guy goes, can I get a selfie with you? And Stuart Rhodes is like, oh, yeah, here we go. King of the militia. And then the guy, he's going for the selfie and he goes, we love our federal informant. <laughs> and then Stuart Rhodes is just like, like, you want to you want to like throw down, man? Yeah, you makes you outside. That's the kind of like rowdy atmosphere we get at uh, at CPAC, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Zach, while you were there, of course, I'm sure many of our listeners saw the footage and the tweets online. Nick Fuentes, white nationalist dipshit, showed up to the hotel and he was, it didn't take that long for him to get ejected from the conference as I think he was counting on or predicting. Does he just show up to these more quote unquote mainstream conservative conferences nowadays just to come and like try to make fun of reporters before he gets booted? Like, is that his whole thing? Yeah, well, I think there's an interesting dynamic there. Like, on, on one hand, you have somebody who clearly wants the media attention, um, and that's clearly one of their motivations for coming. But then a part of me was thinking, well, you know, to some extent, Nicholas Fuentes is very much embraced by many in the Republican Party today, too, right? Like, you know, Tucker Carlson giving the wink and the nod to Nick Fuentes and others giving. I mean, we saw J.D. Vance just being like, I can't believe they kicked this guy off of Twitter. Right, right, right. They obviously try to frame it as just a free speech issue. Right. But of course, they're also carrying water for him. So it's like one has to think, why isn't Nicholas Fuentes kind of allowed in the conference when others with his same extremist views are roaming around the conference? But yeah, no, CPAC didn't allow him in. Uh, they gave him the boot. But plenty of Fuentes' followers some of his most loyal followers were in attendance throughout the weekend. But yeah, no, he, he came to CPAC, quickly found myself, of course. We kind of had a little a little dust up, if you will. And he was saying a bunch of things. I asked him why uh, he's encouraging his group to destroy January 6th evidence, which is uh, quite the thing. <laughs> Wait, what was his response to your question about destruction of evidence? You know, he said, uh, Groypers don't answer questions. And, uh, and then I got the good old... Groypers don't answer questions, isn't that? That's... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was interesting, right? Because these, these Groyper characters online are like these green, racist, Pepe the Frog mean type of things. And that's kind of what they hide it behind online, right? right. When and you, you started to make the point earlier that there actually is a very narrow terrain of disagreement over policy and political preferences between those losers and actual honchos and big players in the Republican Party who show up and are greeted with open arms at these types of conferences. One of those is, of course, white supremacist speechwriter and former senior aide to Donald Trump, Stephen Miller, 
who was someone you ran into in the hallways? Was he just milling about the conference or did he, was he there for s- some uh, other official capacity? Yeah. So I saw him and, and he was doing a Fox, Fox of Friends hit, I believe, and, and heard him out and stuff and, and went up to him and had some questions because, you know, he has a great affinity for white nationalism and his policies during the, uh, the Trump era certainly reflect that. So I had a couple questions for him, went up to him and kind of ironic uh, because he said he had some family issues to take care of and couldn't talk to me at that time. So that was kind of short short-lived uh, exchange with uh, Stephen Miller. So, Zach, obviously another CPAC attendee or quasi-CPAC attendee, Matt Gates, representative from Florida, currently target of a federal investigation. You know, th- there was an interesting thing here where he kind of, you know, he tried to have his own little off-brand CPAC. Walk us through that. Yeah. So, uh, Rep. Matt Gates was in attendance at CPAC. Many of the attendees went up to him and, and shook his hand and were excited to see him. But it seemed as though, you know, he wasn't totally accepted by the, the, the organizers of CPAC, right? So Matt Gates had attempted with... Uh, with Do you a, think that's because he's currently under federal investigation and, and one of his buddies is flipped on him? Yeah, that, that's that's probably it. So CPAC attendees loved him, right? Like he was, he was, like, a, he was like a god to him. So he tried to hold this other event with former uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in this other part of the hotel. And they were holding up these signs for this event, this event on the second floor of the hotel in Dallas, away from CPAC. And volunteers were holding up signs for this event, kind of directing people on Sunday to this other event. CPAC organizers came up to these these volunteers and said, look, that's not an official event, even though you guys are advertising as such. And then this, this one CPAC executive director confiscated two of their signs and said, get going, get out of here. This isn't an official event. Did they say that to Matt Gates? No, no. <laughs> Scoop, go on, get, like, like give him the toss him out, like, and stay out. Yeah, well, that was kind of, that was kind of the mood, though, from the message from CPAC organizers. They kept going, and they kicked him out, and then they, they held their other event in the other room. And then after the fact, the organization that was holding this event, this right-wing organization, basically argued that it was a, an official CPAC event. So there remains some dispute. As it's like, as, well, I can tell you I'm CPAC and you're not part of CPAC. It's a suppression yeah. of my right to free speech that you don't allow me to have an officially sanctioned CPAC. Well, event. correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I mean, isn't what's going on here that Alan West is running for governor of Texas and Dan Patrick, who was on the stage, the lieutenant governor, who actually was on the CPAC stage, is also going to run. And so CPAC is probably trying to favor Dan Patrick. Yeah, there's this weird dynamic there, too, of course, because you have Alan West who's kind of claiming to be more MAGA, more right-wing than, than others. And it's also creating further division there. So we saw, you know, CPAC has kind of supported other candidates. And there was this weird dynamic there between further right candidates outpacing others to the right. Okay, so uh, one thing I got to ask you, Zach, is about a video you tweeted on July 11th, where you said, at CPAC, meet Joseph Kung, an avid Trump supporter and CPAC donor, to the tune of 20K this weekend alone, who has a custom Kung Fu dress and Trump chant. I think we're going to play some of the audio from your tweet. Trump, 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 Trump! Zach, can you tell us a little bit more about Mr. Kung? Absolutely. This guy was one of the most uh, colorful, excited 
CPAC attendees this weekend. I mean, he loved talking to the press. He was wearing a blue kung fu dress that basically had the equivalent of Trump bumper stickers plastered all on it everywhere. Probably had close to 50 Trump bumper stickers on it. He was one of the CPAC's donors this weekend and came out and, and said he loves supporting Trump and just loves the guy. And uh, he was also, he also gave 20K this weekend alone to CPAC, which just shows how kind of lucrative these events are, not only for CPAC, but for, you know, I think, you know, more so the Republican Party and those politicians that attend it, right? There's plenty of money flowing to politicians' pockets on that side. And, and these events, while they might seem small, it's a big part of kind of the grift on that side from from the expensive t-shirts to, to even like the big donor contributions. Zach, what is the, the weirdest thing you saw at CPAC? Yeah, I would have to say it was the, the Proud Boys acting as personal security for people at the event who are attending. And I went up and I approached a couple of them and I said, what's going on, guys? Like, why are you guys here? And, and of course, they say, you know, we're Proud Boys and all that type of stuff. <laughs> we're proud male Western chauvinists uh, who will not apologize for creating the modern world. Yeah, and they were uh, there, and I asked them why they needed to be there if Dallas PD was there, right? There were, there were not only federal officials that were there, federal authorities, and local police. There was also personal uh, CPAC police. And they said that they could take additional measures, quote-unquote, compared to, to that of Dallas PD, which was interesting, right? Like, what other measures could you possibly take? But clearly, they were there and were willing to take extreme actions to get into dust-ups or, or fight people off, I guess, if needed to be. I mean, they could always post superior memes online as compared to the Dallas PD. I, yeah, I do like the idea. They're like, you, we're going to trust the cops? Those guys aren't third-degree Proud Boys. You know how much they masturbate? <laughs> These guys aren't exactly the Black Panthers in the early 1970s. I mean, come on. Okay, so Zach, obviously one issue that came up at CPAC, I think, as someone watching from afar, was your safety. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, just seemed like a lot of like people approaching you and, you know, saying rude things or kind of trying to get in these kind of like viral confrontations. Obviously, you've been going to CPAC, you've gone for a few years now, but it seemed like this one was really more unhinged than ever. And so I wonder what do you think that says about like the larger state of like the conservative movement and, and really what's going on? No, absolutely. There, there were a lot of vile threats being kind of aired, like public, you know, people were, were, were kind of saying my, my home address out loud. It was really disturbing just because we saw kind of the vilification of the press from the mouth of President Donald Trump on Sunday to actually people carrying out those kind of horde attacks on members of the press at CPAC. So yeah, there were, there were plenty of threats from, from associates that were kind of loosely connected to the Oath Keepers. There were white nationalists making threats to, to I know myself at least. And people were being kind of like stalked. I know that there was one lady who, after my encounter with a group of white nationalists who were all recording me, there was one lady who kind of like stuck behind me for the rest of the day. And she wouldn't go anywhere. She wouldn't, she would just follow me around the entire conference. I had no idea who she was. It was this older lady. And I ended up going to the bathroom and she, she, she just stays outside the bathroom with the camera, like just hanging out there. And I come back out and I ask her like, do you know who I am? And she's like, no. I'm like, okay, why are you recording me? <laughs> right? Like, like talk about weird. There was a lot of weird. That seems just wild. You got to wonder, I think in the past CPAC has managed to kind of get a lot of attention by allowing the media in and by, by being pretty open with the media. But at the point where you have just like nuts following people and tagging around when you go to the bathroom or whatever, I mean. So while you were at CPAC, you got to get some FaceTime with friend of the show, Mr. Mike Lindell, obviously huge Trump ally and buddy. 
a CEO of MyPillow, prominent pusher of 2020 election conspiracy theories. Beyond that, am I correct in remembering that you also polled CPAC attendees on if they believed Lindell's theory that Trump could possibly be, quote unquote, reinstated during the Biden presidency? I sure did. And the attendees at CPAC were overwhelmingly supportive of Mike Lindell's not only theories, but of his belief that Donald Trump will be reinstated as president come August, which might come as a shock. But CPAC attendees not only love Mike Lindell, but love his theories. And also some that I spoke with said they even wanted him on the main stage at CPAC. So wait, describe to me what it's like talking to someone who's like, yeah, Trump's going to be reinstated next month. The majority of them were were older, kind of older conservatives that had really bought into Mike Lindell's beliefs, and they were adamant about kind of this 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 plan that is going to be taken to the Supreme Court, that of Mike Lindell's voter fraud case or whatever have you, and that ultimately these P captures, these these packet captures, show that the 2020 election was rigged. And funny enough, Salon actually approached Mike Lindell at the conference and asked him about these packet captures specifically. And some of the things that Mike Lindell has been claiming to have kind of lacks some substantial proof, specifically these P captures. What we need to see is the raw data behind it, not necessarily kind of this data that's easily manipulable um, and, and could have just been sold to Mike Lindell kind of as a hoax. And when we asked Mike Lindell to kind of show us this raw data, of course, uh, that, that ticked him off. And uh, he was pretty upset about that. But he did invite us to his uh, August symposium in, in uh, South Dakota. So I guess we'll have to go there and check that out. I saw the video of this. And, you know, this is packaged as one of these, like, you know, Mike Lindell vaporizes lib reporter videos. But what's happening is he's supposed to be interviewing Ben Carson for, the, for his, like, social network. And instead, he sees you in the crowd and becomes obsessed with arguing with you. And Ben Carson is just like, what is happening here? And he's just like, I'm a world-renowned neurosurgeon and I'm just being ditched. So Mike Lindell can be like, Zachary, you've done it again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mike Lindell, right when he saw myself, he, he latched on and, and, and wanted, to, uh, wanted to tell me everything that I've heard probably 9 million times on his uh, Frank speech website, right? But no, he told me, look, it's all there. And that I am, uh, quote unquote, single-handedly destroying this country. Well, you are. So (laughs) where's the lie? Also, sorry, this isn't for the show, but just to check something quickly. Did you say in the answer to your question what percentage you calculated of the attendees who you polled bought into the theory? And also out of how many attendees was that? Like, how many people did you ask? If you just say that now, we can cut that into your response earlier. Yeah, out of nearly 50 people I spoke with, it was north of 40% who believed in Mike Lindell's claims that come August, we'll be back in the White House. All right. Well, Zach, thank you so much for joining us today on Fever Dreams. Thank you. And now we're moving on to perhaps our most beloved segment on this podcast, something we like to call Fresh Hell, in which we introduce our audience to something batshit that they may not believe is happening in the real world, but is happening nonetheless. Will Summer, you have been tracking the gun-toting Trump co-defendant. What does that mean? And explain to our listeners 
why this map. Yeah, you know, first of all, I wonder if people, if Fresh Hell's truly beloved. I feel like a lot of our listeners approach it with a certain- No, they trepid- love it. They approach it with trepidation. Sort of like you're at the roller coaster and it's at the top and it's like, I don't know what, what lies ahead. Yeah, and roller coasters are beloved. That's why there's so many of them <laughs> in America. True. Okay, so last week, Donald Trump, he's suing the social media companies. It's a class action lawsuit. They're going to get an injunction. Everyone's going to get their Twitter accounts back is basically the gist. Look, this lawsuit's a dog. Louis Farrakhan is going to get his Twitter account back. The whole gang. I really saw every, like, so sad. All these, like, just random QAnon people on Telegram are like, I'm going back. You know, I'm getting back on Twitter. So, I mean, this lawsuit stinks. It's not going to go anywhere. It's clearly just for fundraising. But because they want it to be a class action, so they've got a couple other co-plaintiffs. And for me, this is when you got to look for the kooks who have slipped their way on board. And so this week on Fresh Hell, I'd like to talk about Donald Trump co-plaintiff, a lady named Dr. Kelly Victory, which is a great name. And so she is presented in the lawsuit as basically a, a COVID truther who got booted from social media because of her unorthodox ideas. But I found her a little more interesting because of a 2012 legal case she got into involving alleged drunken gun antics at an Ann Coulter event. Are you just doing Mad Libs now? Yeah, right. Okay, so Kelly Victory organized this event, this Ann Coulter event at a town called Steamboat Springs. And so she and her friend drop Ann Coulter off after the event's over, and they're arguing. And she, okay, so Victory displayed a 38 caliber handgun while fighting with another woman after an event uh, headlined by Ann Coulter. So she gets arrested over this gun thing and a DUI. And so supposedly her friends, so they start arguing about how the event had gone. Maybe the people of Steamboat Springs were not feeling Ann Coulter that night. And then she pulls out a gun. Now, she claims she was removing it from the equation, which is always a thing where it's just like, I just want you to know I have a gun and I'm putting it on the table. Now, her friend says victory threatened to, quote, shoot her. So things are getting heated at the Ann Coulter events. And ultimately, this lady pled guilty to a lesser charge unrelated. She got, a, I think, a disorderly conduct. She played a no contest to a disorderly conduct. I love the premise of slamming a gun on a table during an argument and being like, oh, this is a peaceful action. <laughs> let me let me lower the he here a little bit. <laughs> Well, that also sounds, let's really like give it, give each of us like a chance to like grab for it. Let's make this into like oh my God. an indie oh my God. crime it, drama. She's doing the golden eye. She's doing the Soviet thing in golden eye. When the Soviet or ex-Soviet officer is interrogating Piers Brosnan's James Vaughn and puts the gun in front, in front of him on the table. It's like, we're having a friendly conversation. You can grab the gun at any time. Feel free to try to shoot your way out. I fucking dare you. Oh my God. And this person's name is Victory. The last name is And this would have been after GoldenEye came out. So it could be. The larger takeaway here is there are so many bizarre, truly bizarre characters that circulate in this world and even minor ones like Kelly Victory. You got to Google each one, you know, if you're reporting on this stuff, uh, because so often there's just fascinating little backstories. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.